1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 through 28. Have you seen what you're going to look like in 20 years? There are some websites where you can upload a current photo and they process it to make you look decades older. It's horrifying. It's pretty scary. The Apostle Paul didn't have the technology we have, but he was nevertheless able with 100% accuracy to project what you would look like at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so you will be sanctified completely and preserved blameless. It sounds great, and it is. And so Paul says now... uh, as he begins to wrap up his thoughts in this letter. We might say, for now, this is what they needed to hear. You know, we need to trust that God the Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need to hear and then listen with humility for him to speak to us through God's word. That doesn't mean we can't uh, seek a word from the Lord or that we shouldn't, you know, go looking for something, reading the word or listening to Bible studies or whatnot. But a lot of times I think people think they're not being fed what they think they need. Uh, and a lot of times I think you are. It's just that what God thinks you need isn't what you think you need. Uh, and I, I can't really explain it any better than that, uh, except that, uh, Certain decisions lead to other conclusions. And so, if you, if you pray about, let's say, the church you're supposed to be in or the Bible study you're supposed to be in or the group meeting or whatever you want, then you need to trust God that He is going to speak to you in that setting uh, and, and bring you a word that is going to minister to you. And He will. Uh, and oftentimes, I, it, one of the things that I love the most, that cracks me up, but I love it the most, is when I'm at the door after I've shared the word and somebody comes up and they tell me what really ministered to them in the service that day, and I never said that. They heard me say that, uh, but it wasn't me because I, it wasn't even, I've had one time it wasn't even the same area of scripture we were in and they, they were so blessed that I was sharing from that. It, it spoke right to their heart. And so we need to, you know, Paul, you know, this is a short letter, a small letter. Uh, all the letters have their own flavor. I mean, he was answering some difficulties and problems in Thessalonica, but basically the Holy Spirit inspired him to go off on certain uh, subjects that they especially needed to hear. Uh, and, and so uh, I, I like to trust the Lord more than my own intellect and think, well, Lord, I guess you think I needed to hear that. Uh, I guess this is the message for me. Or, Lord, what is there for me in that message? Uh, is there something, you know, that I can understand? And you know what's interesting? If you're a biblically well-taught individual and you go to a church that teaches the Bible verse by verse, you're going to hear the same things all over and over again, or at least you should. If you keep hearing different doctrines, you need to change churches. But you should keep hearing the same thing. But that's what the Apostle Peter said. He says, hey, I'm going to put you in remembrance of these things. I'm going to remind you of the Christian faith. And so if I'm in a situation where I think, well, I've, I've heard this teaching before, or I, I, you know, I know where this guy's coming from, then I still 
try and figure out, well, Lord, what is there for me then in this simple teaching that I think I know so well? We like to joke around about here. Uh, there, there's a, a story that's told, I think it's, I forget the pastor. It, it was a, uh, I don't think it was Luis Palau. It might have been, but it was somebody like that. And they kept teaching the same message week after week after week to their church until after about, as the story goes, after about four weeks, somebody finally came up and said, you know, do you realize you're teaching the same scripture? And, and he said something like, I'm going to keep teaching it until you get it. And, you know, it's one of those rebuke kind of things to make you feel real warm and fuzzy as a Christian, you know. Uh, but the idea is that, you know, I mean, if I'm going to sit there and think, well, I've heard this before, you know, I'm so mature, I'm so wonderful, I don't need to live. But maybe God wants me to hear this again, and maybe I need to hear it and start doing it. So uh, there's just some thoughts. So Paul says, now, this is, for now, this is all I have to say, uh, and so chew on this. Now, the descriptor Paul chooses for God is peace. It reminds us that God, through the blood of the cross on which Jesus died, has made peace with mankind. We are at peace with God the moment we repent and believe. We're no longer at enmity with God. We're no longer the enemy of God. God has made peace on the cross by the blood of Jesus. And it's also a nice reminder of the fact God's work in our lives is ongoing. God makes peace with us so that he can have his work in our lives, so that he can have a relationship with us. Salvation, obviously, is just the beginning of a lifetime relationship with God and of a life of him working on our lives. Now, the Bible calls that work, God's work in our lives throughout our lifetime, sanctification. Uh, It simply means to be set apart. Rather than give you a textbook definition, there are a lot of good ones, sanctification can be understood by the verse in Philippians 1.6, I think this summarizes it as well as any, he that has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That in a nutshell is biblical sanctification. God has begun a good work in you, he saved you. And he will continue his work in you until you see Jesus Christ. And the implication, as we'll see there, is that then you are perfect. Now, we can dissect sanctification into stages that make sense to us. We are linear. We see things in chronological order. We live out time. Do you ever get into all this stuff about God and time and God being outside of time and everything happening at once? I'm not smart enough to understand any of that kind of stuff, uh, you know, the, the, the physics of it and all that. It is fascinating to me, though, when I read the book of the Revelation, I just throw this out to you, that there are still months in eternity because it says there that there's a tree of, uh, of life gives its fruit each month a different fruit. And so somehow there is still a concept of time passing in eternity. You figure that out and let me know how that works. But we see things in terms of, uh, you know, they begin at a point and they continue on. So there is usually, uh, we say there are three stages to biblical sanctification, but really we might say there are four because there is, I think, a pre-sanctification stage while we are yet sinners For example, you read in 1 Corinthians 7, 14, that a non-believing husband, Paul says, is sanctified by his wife. Now, he's clearly not saved. 
but it means that her influence puts him in a place where the gospel of grace can affect his heart to free his will to believe. And so we might go so far as to say, at least wherever the gospel is being preached, that God is doing a pre-sanctification work of, of seeking to draw men to himself. Now, when a person believes and is born again, he has a positional sanctification by virtue of coming into a relationship with Jesus Christ. This means that he is set apart to God from the world. Hebrews 10.10, for example, says, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And so because of what Jesus has done, God can say you are fully sanctified, but it's in a positional sense. We have that position before God where He has set us apart. Every day between being born again and either our death or the rapture, we experience what we would call progressive sanctification. This is the process by which we actually are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. This is the sanctification Paul prays for the Thessalonians here in this letter. And there is a final, or we would call a perfect sanctification. Uh, I don't know if you figured this out or not yet, but you're never going to be perfect in this life. You're not going to achieve entire sanctification. Now, there, are, there have been denominations that uh, have taught that. There probably still are today. Um, the Nazarene church, for example, good church. I don't have any problem with the Nazarenes, but, but they are typically a holiness church that teaches that it might be possible to achieve uh, full or total sanctification before you get to heaven. Uh, but I believe they've backed off from that and, and nobody ever gets there, you know. H.A. Uh, Ironside, the great Bible commentator, when he was with the Salvation Army, uh, actually in this area, I don't know if you know, I don't know if you even know who H.A. Ironside is, but it, you should get his books uh, and, and just devour them. He's fantastic. But, and, and he did a lot of ministry in the Fresno area, um, but uh, he actually for a while had a nervous breakdown because he believed that you could achieve entire sanctification on the earth and be perfectly holy, and it, you can't, and so he, he had a breakdown over it until he really got into the Word and figured out that, no, there's a progressive sanctification, but we're not going to be made holy until we are perfect with Jesus Christ. Uh, then we will be completely and finally set apart from sin, uh, our spirit, soul, and body. So sanctification, it's God's work in and upon us because Paul says it is God Himself who accomplishes this work. We cannot manufacture it on our own. Nevertheless, <coughs> we must cooperate with God. John MacArthur wrote this, and I quote, he says, I can't tell you what percentage of the responsibility falls on you or exactly how your disciplined life cooperates with God's work in you, but each of us bears some responsibility for our own spiritual growth. And so what you're going to hear me say tonight is that sanctification is the work of God Himself. He's faithful, we'll read, to perform it. He's going to complete it. He's promised you he's going to do it. But it isn't one of these let go and let God kind of propositions. At the same time, it's understood that we should cooperate with the work of God in our lives and that we can actually hinder the progress of it. Not the ultimate completion of it because of God's promises, but we can hinder its progress and why would we want to? We could look at it this way. 
Thus far in 1 Thessalonians, we've encountered many exhortations that we ought to obey. Paul is now reminding us that obeying them is part of God's progressive sanctification in our lives and that since God himself sanctifies us, we are more than able to obey. And so I find myself a saved individual set apart for God and God working in my life. And one of the ways he works is he gives me his word and I read his word and I learn what I ought to be doing based on my relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And I find the empowering to do it in that same word. And in that cooperation, uh, progress is made in my spiritual growth. Uh, In one place, Paul says, you know, we look through a glass darkly, but we're being changed from glory to glory as we see Jesus Christ in the Word of God. Uh, Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. Scholar D. Edmund Hebert says of this word completely, it is a compound of holos, whole, and telos, end. Its basic meaning is wholly attaining to the end, reaching the intended goal. Hence, it has the force of no part being left unreached. And so not only will God complete the work he has begun, every part of you will be perfected by God. And so he's, if God starts something, you ever start something and never finish it? Do you you ever unfinished projects at home? Some people, I know people who have unfinished projects that go back decades. My entire house is an unfinished project, by the way, but, but that's because I'm a procrastinator. But, you know, but there are some things that people just never get around to. We had a, I don't know what year it was, but there was a Fiat in my garage when I was a kid growing. It was my little brother's car for like 20 years until finally my dad couldn't take it anymore and he towed it away and stuff and it just never got off the ground you know and so uh, now God he starts a project and he's working on it all the time in a craftsmanlike way and he's going to bring it to the end and it's all going to be done it's all going to be completed speaking of cars I remember one time I was so excited my brothers were going to get an old car and fix it up. My, my family, I can't do anything, but my family, they could do anything. They could, they could build stuff and redo stuff, and they did a lot of that. And one time we went, and this guy had for sale, it was a 1930s LaSalle, which was a precursor to the Cadillac, you know. And it was a, I thought, man, this is going to be great. I'll take this to prom someday, you know, and stuff. But, and so we got there, and the body was in good shape. And, the, you know, the, the car looked pretty good, not too much rust. And, and, but the motor was sort of torn up, and part of it was in boxes and stuff. And, and they just, my, they didn't want to have anything to do with it, my dad, my brothers, and their mechanics. And I said, why didn't we buy that car, you know? And he goes, he goes I'll tell you what happened right now, son. They got into the motor, and they found out that the block was cracked and that's why they stopped and they're trying to sell that now. That's the only reason you would stop at that stage. And I thought, oh, okay. So, you know, a lot of times that's what happens in the world. And then you see this, oh, wow, this is going to be a great project and you find out it's messed up. God isn't like that. He's going to complete what he started in you and you'll be not just on the outside, you know, like a potential LaSalle. I mean, you'll be ready to go. Uh, And he says it's your whole spirit, soul, and body. Those are the parts that will be completely sanctified. And that's pretty much all of you. The immaterial part of you, the spirit and the soul, as well as the material part, your body. Now, if you do some study in this, commentaries launch into a long discussion about the differences between the soul and the spirit, whether or not they are the same. Believe it or not, there's a big theological debate on whether man is a 
dichotomy of uh, soul, spirit, and body, or if we are a trichotomy of spirit, soul, and body. Uh, I'd say there are three parts of the human person, spirit, soul, and body, but that it can be difficult to separate the spirit and the soul. So difficult, in fact, that in Hebrews it says only the Word of God can do that, can discern between the soul and the spirit of a man. Maybe this is the best way of understanding it. (laughs) Spirit is the highest and most unique part of man that enables him to communicate with God. The soul is the part of man that makes him conscious of himself. It's the seat of his personality. So people who are not saved, uh, they're, they're not born again. They, their spirit is, is dead in trespasses and sins. They're still soulishly active. They have consciousness and self-awareness and those kinds of things. And then the body, of course, is the physical part of us through which the inner person expresses himself. When we are born into the world, we're physically alive and soulishly active but spiritually dead. When we're born again, our spirit is alive and can dictate to the soul and body according to the leading of God's Holy Spirit who also indwells us. And then he says, they will be preserved blameless. Preserved is a word, is from a word rather, meaning to guard or to keep an eye upon. It describes God as keeping his eyes on you to guard you unto the end. It doesn't mean you can't disobey God. You can It means he is always on hand to help you. Commentators call this a prayer wish of Paul's. His desire is that God's sanctifying work would continue unhindered by them so that at any point along the way and right up till the end, they could be described as blameless. And so he's saying, hey, God is able to preserve you. Uh, As far as his part, it's solid. And he can preserve you blameless. Now, they're not described as perfect. We can never be perfect, but we can be blameless in the sense we're cooperating with God, making spiritual progress, experiencing spiritual growth, uh, basically that no charges could be brought against us for being Christians. We might say that Paul's prayer was for them to not backslide in any area of their lives, but to press forward in cooperation with God, to realize God is wanting to preserve you and guard you, and he's watching out for you. So avoid the things I'm telling you to avoid. Take in the things I'm telling you to take in and press forward so that he, you will be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to get out of verse 23 here in a minute. Every chapter in this letter highlights the coming of Jesus, and the coming Paul had in mind is his pre-tribulational, premillennial coming to resurrect the dead in Christ and to rapture the remaining living believers. When we are all in our glorified resurrection bodies, then will our sanctification be completed. We will be perfect as He is perfect. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. God the Father declared you holy and set you apart at the cross. God the Holy Spirit preserves you in holiness day by day. God the Son will return to present you perfect in holiness in heaven. As I said, sanctification is the work of God. It depends on His faithfulness, not yours. He operates upon you by His indwelling Holy Spirit. You ought to cooperate with Him to make progress. It's the smart thing. But he is going to perfect you with or without your cooperation. Once you're saved, you are predestined to be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. It's going to happen, so you should go with it and enjoy it. And then he says in verse 25, Brethren, pray for us 
the veteran missionary pastor who had already experienced so much serving the Lord asked these really baby believers to pray for him. I mean, the church was certainly not more than a year old. Uh, and he said, hey, I need you guys to pray for me. And you know what? Uh, I'd like to ask each of you that are here tonight to pray for me and my family, if you're not doing that already. Uh, take that, make that a note. Uh, I'm going to hold you to it. Uh, you know, if, if Paul was willing to ask people to pray for him, I, who am I to not ask you to pray for me? Beyond that, realize that your prayers are precious to God regardless of your felt lack of maturity or knowledge. You know, we would never force someone to participate in public prayer. When we have our prayer times and our gift shop times, I hope no one... The, the goal is encouraging people to participate, but I don't want anybody to ever feel forced to participate. Uh, but having said that, if you ever are thinking, I'm just not spiritual enough, my prayers aren't, you know, they're not where they need to be, or, you know, I can't articulate the way so-and-so can, just that's all needs to be debunked is the word that the video used, because your prayers are precious to God because they're from you. And, and it doesn't matter the language or, it's like we talked about Sunday, and we'll talk about this coming Sunday with the Lord's Prayer, you're just you, and you need to be natural and talk to the Lord reverently, of course, but the way that you would talk in regular conversation. And so, you know, we're not looking for, uh, there, there's no public prayer persona where you say, well, I, I can't pray in public because I'm not smart enough. You don't have to pray in public. Nobody's forcing you to do that. Nobody ever will. But if your excuse is or your worry is that you're just not spiritual enough, um, hey, you're as spiritual as the next person when it comes to prayer because you're a child of God and uh, God is your Father and He wants to hear from you. Verse 26, greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. Now, before you get overly excited about this, the reference is to men kissing men and women kissing women in that culture with a holy kiss. Later, when men and women started kissing each other, it gave the church a bad reputation, and the early church documents actually call for it to cease. Uh, and so, there are cultures where, you know, men kiss men and women kiss women. It, it, um, the Italian culture is one, as a matter of fact, but we didn't practice it much at home. My dad, you could never get near my dad. He, was, he had a, like a defense field around. It's probably where I get my fear of hugging from, you know. He would get all like into himself, you know, defensive and, and stuff like that. And so, uh, we didn't kiss too much. Uh, I know there's cultures, I think the, uh, the Filipino culture, when we were going in the 80s, a lot of the Filipino gals would hold hands all the time and stuff, and it was just a show of endearment. So, so you need to know your culture. Americans going into a culture like that, conservative Republican Americans going into that culture, like, wow, wait, stop this. You know, so just know your culture before you make a buffoon out of yourself. And, and so... Uh, the idea here is that you're preserving bonds of affection through grace, nothing keeping you from sincerely greeting one another in a culturally appropriate manner. With us, that means usually hugs and handshakes. Verse 27, I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. Paul wanted the entire letter read aloud to the entire assembly. This letter, remember, might have been the very first letter Paul ever wrote to a church. If so, he wanted to establish that it was public, not private. 
it wasn't just for leaders, for them to interpret secretly and then give their own ideas. It was for everyone in the congregation. It's interesting thought, really, when you think um, that Paul knew he was writing Scripture. Peter knew, you know, commented in his letter that Paul was writing Scripture. And Paul said, I want this read to everybody because what have some groups done with the Word of God? They've hidden it away, and uh, I know I grew up in a Roman Catholic tradition. I'm not blaming the entire Roman Catholic Church. I, I can't be that weird, but the Roman Catholic tradition I grew up in was you don't need to read the Bible because some other spiritual dudes are reading it, and they're the ones telling you what it means. In fact, my dad, again, a big knife for my dad here, but him and my mom used to tell me I would go crazy if I read the Bible. And then I became a Christian, and they were sure uh, that it was true. It, it was a self-fulfilling prophecy, I guess, you know, that I had gone crazy from reading the Bible. And so Paul was saying, hey, guys, I understand this is for the body of Christ, and obviously for more than just the church at Thessalonica as well. We'd also conclude that whatever else might be included as part of public worship in the church, the reading of God's entire word should be a priority. I was talking to another Calvary pastor this week, and he's going to be gone on a Sunday morning. And so we asked him, well, who's going to fill in for you? And he said, well, he's got a, 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 a speaker from a missionary group coming in. And, and we started joking with one another. And, and he said, yeah, I'm going to tell the guy to at least read one scripture, you know, so that, that you know, because not everybody, you know, because it's not going to be an expositional study or probably a study in God's word at all. It's just going to be a, a missionary point. He says, you know, I said, I'm going to explain to him that since we're a Calvary, he needs to at least read some scripture and maybe say a few things about it. So so that people aren't freaked out that we're not in the Word of God. And I think that's a good thing. I think we should always have the Bible because, you know, I've, I've talked to too many people over the years who've said, oh, we, you know, we wanted to shake things up and, and make things fresh and alive. I said, so what did you do? Oh, we got rid of the Bible study. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And so how's that working out for you? You know, so what did you add? Uh, you know, uh, it's crazy. So we always want to have the Word of God. Verse 28, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, amen. Grace is so often defined as God's unmerited favor or getting what you don't deserve that we forget it's something very, for lack of a better word, powerful. Grace is God's sufficient, sustaining strength in and for every circumstance of your life. As far as I can tell, you can't store it up, but it's always there ready to be put into action when you are faced with life. I had a gal texting me today with some very severe problems, and, and she says things that, that I would say. Uh, I don't see how this is going to end, and uh, nobody's helping me, and, and this won't happen here, and I seem to be at a dead end and all that. And I, I can't just shrug my shoulders, well, okay, I, I see what you're saying. I have to believe that God's grace is sufficient for her in her situation. And that his grace is sufficient for me in my situation. Paul the Apostle, he said, Lord, I got this thorn in my flesh. It's really bugging me. It's so bad. It's like a messenger from the devil. I mean, it's like, it's like you know, I answered the door and there was, uh, you know, a messenger say, hi, I'm from the devil and I'm here to bother you for the rest of your life. Lord, would you do something about this? And the Lord said, yeah, no. And Paul said, all right, then your grace is sufficient for me, and in my weakness, I'll be you'll be shown strong. And so when I minister to somebody, when you minister to somebody, you have to assume that God's grace 
is absolutely sufficient for them in the situation they're in, notwithstanding that there may not be a solution for it. I mean, I always, if you're like me, you want to think, okay, what's the solve for this? How do you solve this to, to find a sufficiency? And sometimes God is saying, yeah, I'm the solve. And, and it's just going to be that way until you realize it, and maybe even afterwards. Now, what do I mean you can't store up grace? Well, let's say you hear about a believer who just found out they have terminal cancer. You go to visit them to encourage them. They end up encouraging you when you see the grace of God in their life. God's strength by which they're standing firm in His promises. You wonder if you have that same grace. Well, you don't because you don't need it yet, but it will be there for you when you need it. Sometimes I wonder if I'm going to have cancer grace when I don't have cancer. I don't need to have grace stored up for terminal cancer. I just need to believe that will be there when I am diagnosed. Ephesians 4, 7 reads, unto each one of us is grace given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. It seems like it's measured out proportionately to my need, but it's always abundant and sufficient. Paul was simultaneously certain that God would complete the work of sanctification he had begun and he was concerned that the Thessalonians help and not hinder God's work in and upon them. God himself will do it, Yet this is not a work that is without our assistance. Each Christian bears a direct and personal obligation to make a correct response to this call to sanctification. Uh, Peter said this in his letter, you are a chosen generation, you are a royal priesthood, you are a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. In other words, God has put you in a position of sanctification that you might make progress until you are perfect. And so be encouraged. God is faithful. He who has begun this good work in you will perform it until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.